Welcome to episode 88 of the Practicology Podcast. In this episode, Matthew is going to be leading us into part two, into our look into the issue of deconstruction. Right, and in last week's episode from Psalm 73, you showed us, Mike, how the issue of deconstruction doesn't always have to be an automatically negative thing. Asaph was quite perplexed about how his faith accorded with the reality that he observed around him. And this taught us that sometimes the problem lies not with the faith, but with wrong ideas that we have imbibed about the faith. Right, like there's God's truth, but then sometimes there are additional things that we have been taught or we've picked up, and in our minds we slot them into the same category as God's truth, even though they're like extra-biblical. Yeah, they are extra-biblical. They are like extra parts in the mechanics of our faith. And if we compared our faith to an engine... Sometimes over time, there are some extra parts that get added to the engine. We think they are essential to the engine running smoothly, but they're not. But we think they are. And when those extra parts get challenged or questioned, we might mistakenly think that the whole engine isn't going to work. But you're saying those extra parts could actually be stripped away and the engine would still run perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. But sometimes when people strip away those extra parts... They rip the whole engine to pieces. So in the context of the Christian faith, deconstruction is like taking apart one's faith, re-examining its parts, and sometimes that faith gets reconstructed, but often it doesn't. And the individual sadly walks away from the faith. And this is why we're talking about this again in this episode, because we've all heard in recent times uh, these high-profile names in evangelical Christianity who say they've deconstructed and they've walked away. And we know that there are others who don't have that similarly high profile, but but their faith is left in pieces as well. And so, Matthew, I think we're wanting to try and understand what's going on in these deconstruction stories. So I'm going to suggest four factors. We're going to try and articulate four factors in people deconstructing and walking away. As we do this, though, bear in mind that uh, we'll just think about what we went through last week. And I think we'll return to it in some measure next week as well. There is a type of deconstruction that can ultimately lead to a stronger faith. And Mike, you gave us some guidelines for that in the last episode. But this episode is thinking particularly about why someone who has seemingly been walking the path of Christian discipleship can then renounce it under the title of deconstructing and turn away. One factor I would suggest is poor teaching or perhaps sometimes just improper understanding But poor teaching can certainly lead to people questioning their faith and some people walking away from it. Sometimes this is a consequence of blatantly false and evil teaching. Think of 2 Timothy 2. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. In 2 Timothy, it sounds like people were in the community of the church but were then exposed to bad teaching that said the resurrection is past, and as a result, these people questioned the whole gospel they had professed. So deconstruction is not a new thing. And that threat of false teaching is a really big theme in the New Testament. There's constant warnings about it, so I'm glad you're bringing it up. But Matthew, it's not always blatant denials of the fundamentals from people we would call false teachers, is it? Sometimes it's good men and women who have been extremely dogmatic about something that maybe the scriptures aren't clear on. And they've made people believe that this is 
an essential to the faith. Yeah, that does happen. So, so if we could come back to our analogy of tearing the engine down from a couple minutes ago, if we give people the idea that something that we teach has clear scriptural authority when it doesn't, and people then come to see the error of that teaching or its lack of scripture authority, they're more likely to question other things that we have said. I think this is especially pertinent with new believers or young believers who are likely to be more accepting of what they are taught by those close to them. So we need to be careful what we teach and how we teach. For example, what if someone grows up with the impression that science and scripture are totally opposed to one another? But then they encounter some tough questions about the universe and life on planet Earth, or they maybe they meet a, a, a Christian scientist, maybe they meet a Christian who, gasp, isn't sure about a young Earth. Can they even be a Christian? If I can't be sure about that, what can I be sure of? Or what if I've been convinced that the Christian faith is inevitably tied to capitalistic economics? Or what if I grow up in a very left-leaning political environment, and then I find some very conservative-minded Christians who are very compassionate, very generous. Hmm. Uh, I wonder what else I've been taught that isn't right. And so the deconstruction begins because we are, we are wedding things to our Christian faith that aren't necessarily in the Bible or certainly not clear in the scriptures. And I guess this just goes to show, Matthew, that there needs to be a lot of room in our churches and in our homes for people to ask questions when their faith or something they thought was essential to their faith is challenged a little bit. I think that's a huge point, Mike. Thank you. The, the discouragement of questions is itself a bad teaching, I would say. We don't want to raise a restless generation that automatically questions everything they hear, but neither do we want to raise a generation that isn't permitted to respectfully challenge our explanations or whose questions are shut down with simplistic cliches. And the great thing about Scripture is it's up to the challenge. I think we, we talked about this last week, too. If my faith is going to be worth anything, it must be true. It must be able to withstand the tests that we bring to it. And that's the great thing about resting in Christ, about being held by Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And the risen, triumphant Christ is up to that challenge. Well, that sounds good, Matthew. But let me ask you, have you gotten all your questions answered? Like, do you, do you know exactly how old the earth is? Or more solemnly, uh, can you explain when in a child's development they become accountable for their response to Christ? Good questions. And no, I haven't got all my questions answered. And I'm okay with that. Because I have gotten enough of the big questions answered that I know God can be trusted that's what the Lord Jesus has done for me. That's what Scripture has done for me. The Word of God is an unassailable bedrock of faith. And people may build structures on the rock that won't stand, but the rock stands. Mike, I want to read uh, a lengthy quote here from Brett McCracken, uh, just in view of what we're saying. Now, this comes from the book, Before You Lose Your Faith. He says, This Christianity invites rather than shuns the intellectual wrestling that naturally comes when we try to wrap our minds around an infinite triune God whose existence and work in the world will always be a bit mysterious. Many who deconstruct their faith believe Christianity is a religion for intellectual simpletons in which everything is explainable and all tensions must be resolved out of fear that they'll discredit the whole thing. 
If that's your experience of Christianity, I'm sorry. I understand why you'd want to leave it behind. But that's not true Christianity. It's simply another mutation of the faith. True Christianity always challenges our paradigms. It's rewarding for sure, but also costly. And one of its costs is intellectual. The taxing burden of lingering questions and faith without empirical proof. But that's what true faith is. It requires a humble willingness to be content with not comprehending everything. And then he quotes the late J.I. Packer. It's not for us to stop believing because we lack understanding or to postpone believing till we can get understanding, but to believe in order that we may understand. Faith first, sight afterwards is God's order, not vice versa. And the proof of the sincerity of our faith is our willingness to have it so. Hmm, that's an interesting quote, Matthew, uh, because it points out that Christianity welcomes the intellectual wrestling and the questions, while on the other hand also acknowledging that we're never going to get all our questions fully answered. That's the balance. That's right. Yet my experience with Christ and, and with the scriptures have given me every reason to believe that God is faithful and God can be trusted. Okay, so I think we maybe expanded the parameters a little bit on your first reason as to why people deconstruct. You said it's, it's poor teaching or improper understanding. But I think your point is that both teachers and listeners need to come back to what the scriptures themselves actually say and let that be the authority of our faith and practice. Amen. But deconstructing certainly isn't always due to poor teaching in the church or a poor upbringing or poor discipling or mentoring. Listen to 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit says explicitly that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Now was that the church's fault? It's not what the Spirit says there. He is saying that some people will deconstruct because they will choose to pay attention to bad teaching. They'll give their ear to it. More than that, a second reason why some people deconstruct is simply their own unbelief. At the end of John 6, after the Lord Jesus taught about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, symbols for appropriating Christ personally and feeding upon him, John says, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? And the Lord said, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. But catch what happened there. People who John called disciples were offended by the Lord's teaching, and they turned away and no longer accompanied him. And you wouldn't dare say that that was because of poor teaching. This was the Lord's teaching. So what was the problem? The Lord tells us what the problem was. He knew that some did not truly believe. I suppose the best example of that would be Judas Iscariot. He was mentioned there by the Lord as one who would betray him. 
He was just as privileged as the rest of the disciples in terms of what he had heard and his access to Christ and how he was treated. Yet time showed that he didn't actually believe in Christ, and so he walked away from him. Right. So I have no doubt that the reason some people deconstruct their faith is that they don't genuinely have faith. We have to come to grips with this reality, because Scripture certainly does. Some people profess faith in the gospel, but they do not have a sincere faith within them. And like the seed that fell on the rocky ground in the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, they fall away because there is no root. It's a remarkably solemn thing. But the fact is, some people believe and some don't. I remember hearing the conversion story of a, a sister, I believe her name was Cora, in New England, decades ago. This is a very simple story, but it just stuck with me. Someone gave her co-worker, I think, a gospel paper. And her co-worker laughed and said, Oh, this isn't for me. Here, Cora, maybe you'd like this. Cora took it, read it, sought the Lord, and was saved. One believes, and one doesn't. And sometimes people are discipled in the exact same way, and one goes on for the Lord, and one walks away. And the reason sometimes is that they have not believed. Well, I'm so glad that Scripture tells us about this. Uh, to be honest, when I think about some of the names of people who I so respected, and then they deconstructed and left the faith, it can really shake my faith. I'm sure lots of listeners have experienced that. But to know that scripture, ex or, but to know that scripture taught us to expect this, not to be overly surprised when this happens, is is itself a uh, a strengthening of of, of our faith. Mm -hmm. But but Matthew, how do we know someone who turns away or drifts away was actually saved and just needs to be restored, or whether they were never born again in the first place? How do we know? you know, which category to put them into? Well, it's a great question because I, I think it's a constant question we have about many. But I would say it's certainly possible for a true Christian to drift far from the Lord, to do wicked things, and yet still be saved. We still have the flesh within us, and we are a weak and grace-needing people. Oftentimes, then, we are not going to know we can only go by what we see. If someone's life is producing significant reasons to doubt the legitimacy of their faith, then people are understandably going to doubt the reality of their faith. But I don't get the impression that the other disciples doubted Judas' profession of faith until they saw him betray Jesus. So sometimes we simply don't know. What that individual needs is the gospel grace of Christ. Wherever they stand, they need to repent and they need to come to Christ for grace and mercy. But to be clear what I'm saying here, the reason some people deconstruct their faith is that they never possess true faith in the first place. But that isn't the case with everyone. And, and doubts about our faith are not abnormal. And we talked about that in the last episode. Relatedly, I, I think another reason some people are confused about where they stand with God and are deconstructing in the midst of that is a very shallow theological foundation or a very light and fluffy perception of Christianity. Now, Mike, I think you and I are both very blessed by the environment in which we were raised. Many of our listeners are as well. And at young ages, I think we imbibed more of a depth of sound theology than we were even aware. But it is possible, and maybe easier in our digital age, to be captured by the shallow, the quick wit, the pop culture Christianity. So in that book that I mentioned 
a moment ago, and it actually has a longer title. Here it is. Before You Lose Your Faith, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church. Various authors. J. Kim says, As our digital experiences grow in speed, making us less and less patient, our appetites change. What we crave are the jarringly abrupt morsels. He says we need to immerse ourselves in the wisdom of Scripture, which we which requires time and some deep diving. But the sad irony is that our online tendencies deteriorate our aptitude. As we scroll, swipe, and click away, neurological pathways are rewired, and we long to consume information the way the Internet delivers it, in truncated bursts. And he says if that's the way we approach the Bible, there is going to be more deconstruction because people are experiencing a shallow substitute for genuine faith. Yeah, that fast food um, tendency is is one that makes me shudder, and I think we need to try and resist it, fight against it, spend time patiently in the scriptures so that we don't just become people who need a quick fix all the time. Um, but Matthew, you've given us now two reasons why people may deconstruct. First, it's poor teaching or poor understanding, sometimes leaving people confused as to what is scripturally based and what isn't. And then secondly, unbelief or at least a very shallow perception of Christianity. So, uh, what's your third factor? A third reason why people deconstruct is suffering. So, while it's not a new question and it's not unanswerable, it is still a profound and important question. If God is good and all-powerful, why does he allow so much suffering and evil in the world? And this suffering can come in multiple ways. Here's three big ones. It could be witnessing injustice and suffering in the lives of others. Where are you, God? Why aren't you doing something there? It could be the suffering in one's own life. Yes, the Lord can certainly use that as a time to showcase His grace and draw the sufferer close to Himself. But sometimes people lose their way in the trial or become bitter. A related type of suffering that's very pertinent to this discussion, though, is suffering hurt or abuse from spiritual authority figures. And that, understandably, can really mess with people's minds and hearts. Maybe it's something that is buried deep for a while, but then something awakens it or triggers it, and the pain and the confusion are huge. This person that was supposed to be my spiritual guide that I was told to respect because he was God's servant. Well, if he's God's servant, what, what is God's like? Well, if he's God's servant, what is God like? So that's spiritual trauma, sometimes on a major scale, sometimes in a smaller way, but still hurtful. That can cause people to question the faith. Yeah, sometimes we've seen Christian leaders behave very badly, and this is very understandable. So, what do you tell someone like that, Matthew? How do you help them reconstruct? Well, it's no small thing, depending on the degree of the hurt or trauma, or just depending on how it's affecting the individual. Some professional Christian counseling may be part of the path to recovery. But while most of us are not trained counselors, one way that we can help is, is by turning the individual specifically towards Christ so that the focus and the faith is fixed on the perfect, gentle, strong, compassionate, faithful Lord Jesus instead of the weak, sinful, failing, hurtful man in whom they had placed their trust. Amen. Now, I'm not trying to say we shouldn't respect godly men and women, and we can't really live life without placing trust in people, nor do we want to be suspicious of every Christian leader. Of course not. But this is also pertinent to people that we've placed a lot of confidence in, and, and maybe they haven't hurt us directly. 
but maybe they've deconstructed or maybe maybe they've walked away from the truth in some way and we had looked to them as a role model and now what? Well, it's not wrong to have Christian mentors, but Jesus Christ is the real deal and that's where our faith needs to rest. And in regards to the issue of suffering and evil, God will judge evil one day. It may not be as quick as we want, but he will do that. Of course, the reason we're able to identify evil as evil is because we have a sense of good and evil. And that sense of good and evil comes from God. The existence of evil doesn't cancel God. But thirdly, and so importantly, God understands suffering. In the person of his son, he came down and experienced unjust suffering from religious leaders. They were full of hypocrisy. They were power hungry. And they persecuted and tormented the Christ. They left the people as sheep without a shepherd. The Lord Jesus saw that. He's been there and he felt that himself. And he sympathizes with you in your suffering, whatever form it may take. Yeah, Christianity offers not just an intellectual answer to the problem of suffering, but also an emotional and comforting answer. So, great points there, Matthew. Uh, can you take us now to your fourth factor in the popular trend of deconstructing? A fourth issue is where people are finding community. God designed the church as a body, an interdependency, and it is in time spent with the church that I am going to learn and grow and be protected from some of the negative influences of the culture. The influence and the pressures from the world are powerful. And the more time I spend listening to the messaging of the culture, the more the world's thinking will seep into my consciousness or into my heart and become my thinking. And with so many people believing and pushing ideas that are counter to the teaching of Christ, sometimes people get worn down and begin to question their unpopular views. Issues of sexual ethics are a significant factor today. Some other issues will become prominent in time. Some other aspects of God's truth will be attacked and corrupted. That's how the spirit of the age works. Trevin Wax says, Deconstruction binds us to the movement of the current moment. Christianity frees us from slavery to the present day. Deconstruction binds us to the movement of the current moment. What's the spirit of the age today? What are people saying today? What are people pushing today? Christianity frees us from slavery to the present day. And I appreciate that because it reminds me of the, the anchor I have for my faith in Christ. And being with the church and hearing the word reminds me of that. Yeah, because we're hearing the word of truth. We're hearing the unchanging gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, but that, that concept, Mike, where you, you mentioned there, an unchanging word of truth, that's pretty unpopular in the culture too. Mm-hmm. And it's becoming, it's becoming a little less popular within evangelical Christianity, I would say. Ian Harder says, as you deconstruct, you'll likely encounter the world of mysticism. You'll be told that God is a vague mystery, not something we can truly know. You'll hear that instead of trying to have all the right answers like those staunch fundamentalists, You should embrace the mystery and strive to touch the divine. Don't buy that false dichotomy, he says. There is another glorious truth. This mysterious, transcendent God has made himself known. Yes, God is a mystery, but he can also be known. He's known in Jesus. He's known in the pages of Scripture. And then these awesome lines. There are more paths than ever before in today's world. More options for spiritual enlightenment or custom faith. 
But no path leads to true happiness and everlasting life except Jesus alone, which is narrower than we might like, but more satisfying than we can imagine. That's a great quote, Matthew. And I think an overarching point there that he makes is an echo of where we were earlier in this episode, that while we don't know everything, that doesn't mean there isn't truth to be sure of. And thank God, one thing we can be sure of is eternal life in Christ. Amen. And this brings my thinking back to the subject of Christian community and fellowship, because what we believe is going to be greatly affected by who we spend time with. And for a lot of people, spending time alone isn't actually spending time alone. It's spending time with Alexa and Netflix and untold hours of media that's preaching a different message than what you hear for a brief time on Sunday. Christian life is meant to be relational. But the culture, Jeremy Lineman says, preaches personal autonomy, a rugged individualism, and a consumer culture. And if the local church buys into that wholeheartedly, then you get disconnected, lonely Christians who seek relationship elsewhere. And if my community is not Christian, it won't be a surprise if my beliefs become less Christian. I know there is sometimes pain in relationships. We've talked about some pain and suffering already. But I'll quote Jeremy Lineman again. He says, We are hurt in relationship, and we find healing in relationship. Before you move fully and finally away from the church, consider if you might never find what your soul truly needs until you move toward healthy, loving Christian friends and spiritual community again, or for the first time. So let me urge our listeners to to think about your life schedule again. Do you have time for Christian relationships in that schedule? Or are you sowing the seeds of isolation? Attending a prayer meeting or Bible study midweek takes some discipline and some planning, but it's healthy to preserve your faith. Do you have plans for Friday evening to be with family or with Christians? Where you find community will impact what you believe. And I wonder if this is what has happened to some who have deconstructed and turned away, Mike. Their community weakened their Christian resolve They were tempted towards unhealthy behaviors. Hey, sometimes people end up deconstructing because they want to sin. How can they justify participating in something they've known to be wrong? Well, if the Christian message isn't true, hey, then maybe this behavior isn't so wrong. The course of the world flows as a mighty current. Demas, Paul says, 2 Timothy 4, has deserted me because he loved this present world. May the Lord preserve us in love for one another, the church, and in love ultimately for him. Amen, Matthew. Uh, The devil is a prowling lion. He loves to pick on on the sheep that's straying away from the flock, right? The isolated, lonely uh, believer who has sort of cut ties with Christian community. So I'm so glad that you ended with this exhortation for us to really find our community in, in God's community, amongst God's people. And maybe, listeners, you're turned off from the church for various reasons. Uh, I just encourage you to go back and listen to some of those episodes in, in a series Matthew did on the church that really helps us to get a higher view of the church and there is safety to be found amongst God's people. Well, Matthew, I have maybe a few more thoughts on deconstruction. I want to share my own deconstruction story. I'm so thankful it ended in a reconstruction turn of events by God's grace. So I'll be sharing that next week. Thank you, Matthew, for all the hard work you put into. You put some great points and thoughts together here for us, and uh, we're all indebted to you for that. 
Thank you. We'll look forward to next week and hope you all can join us again. May the Lord bless you all.